Chapter Twenty Three of Romola. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Goldfarb. Romola by George Eliot. Chapter Twenty Three. Afterthoughts. You are easily frightened, though," said Pyro with another scornful laugh. "My portrait is not as good as the original." But the old fellow had a tiger look. I must go into the Duomo and see him again. It is not pleasant to be laid hold of by a madman, if madman he be, said Lorenzo Tornabuoni in polite excuse of Tito. But perhaps he is only a ruffian. We shall hear. I think we must see if we have authority enough to stop this disturbance between our people and your countrymen, he added, addressing the Frenchman. They advanced toward the crowd with their swords drawn, all the quiet spectators making an escort for them. Tito went too. It was necessary that he should know what others knew about Baldassare, and the first palsy of terror was being succeeded by the rapid devices to which mortal danger will stimulate the timid. The rabble of men and boys, more inclined to hoot at the soldier and torment him than to receive or inflict any serious wounds, gave way at the approach of signori with drawn swords, and the French soldier was interrogated. He and his companions had simply brought their prisoners into the city, that they might beg money for their ransom. Two of the prisoners were Tuscan soldiers taken in Lunigiana, the other, an elderly man, was with a party of Genoese, with whom the French foragers had come to blows near Fivizzano. He might be mad, but he was harmless. The soldier knew no more, being unable to understand a word the old man said. Tito heard so far, but he was deaf to everything else till he was specially addressed. It was Tornabuoni who spoke. "'Will you go back with us, Melema? Or, since Messeri is going off to Signa now, will you wisely follow the fashion of the times and go to hear the frate, who will be like the torrent at its height this morning? It's what we must all do, you know, if we're to save our Medicean skins. I should go if I had the leisure.' Tito's face had recovered its colour now, and he could make an effort to speak with gaiety. "'Of course I am among the admirers of the inspired orator,' he said, smilingly. "'But, unfortunately, I shall be occupied with the segretario till the time of the procession.' "'I am going into the Duomo to look at that savage old man again,' said Pyro. "'Then have the charity to show him to one of the hospitals for travellers, Pyro mio,' said Tornabuoni. "'The monks may find out whether he wants putting into a cage.' The party separated, and Tito took his way to the Palazzo Vecchio, where he was to find Bartolomeo Scala. It was not a long walk, but for Tito it was stretched out like the minutes of our morning dreams. The short spaces of street and piazza held memories and previsions and torturing fears that might have made the history of months. He felt as if a serpent had begun to coil round his limbs. Baldassare living and in Florence was a living revenge, which would no more rest than a winding serpent would rest until it had crushed its prey. It was not in the nature of that man to let an injury pass unavenged. His love and his hatred were of that passionate fervour which subjugates all the rest of the being, and makes a man sacrifice himself to his passion as if it were a deity to be worshipped with self-destruction. Baldassare had relaxed his hold and had disappeared. Tito knew well how to interpret that. It meant that the vengeance was to be studied, that it might be sure. If he had not uttered those decisive words, he is a madman. If he could have summoned up the state of mind, the courage necessary for avowing his recognition of Baldassare, would not the risk have been less? He might have declared himself to have had what he believed to be positive evidence of Baldassare's death, and the only persons who could ever have had positive knowledge to contradict him were Fra Luca, who was dead, and the crew of the companion galley, who had brought him the news of the encounter with the pirates. The chances were infinite against Baldassare's having met again with any one of that crew, and Tito thought with bitterness that a timely, well-devised falsehood might have saved him from any fatal consequences. 
but to have told that falsehood would have required perfect self-command in the moment of a convulsive shock. He seemed to have spoken without any preconception. The words had leaped forth like a sudden birth that had been begotten and nourished in the darkness. Tito was experiencing that inexorable law of human souls, that we prepare ourselves for sudden deeds by the reiterated choice of good or evil which gradually determines character. There was but one chance for him now, the chance of Baldassare's failure in finding his revenge, and, Tito grasped at a thought more actively cruel than any he had ever encouraged before, might not his own unpremeditated words have some truth in them, enough truth at least to bear him out in his denial of any declaration Baldassare might make about him? The old man looked strange and wild. With his eager heart and brain, suffering was likely enough to have produced madness. If it were so, the vengeance that strove to inflict disgrace might be baffled. But there was another form of vengeance, not to be baffled by ingenious lying. Baldassare belonged to a race to whom the thrust of the dagger seems almost as natural an impulse as the outleap of the tiger's talons. Tito shrank with shuddering dread from disgrace, but he had also that physical dread which is inseparable from a soft, pleasure-loving nature, and which prevents a man from meeting wounds and death as a welcome relief from disgrace. His thoughts flew at once to some hidden defensive armor that might save him from a vengeance which no subtlety could parry. He wondered at the power of the passionate fear that possessed him. It was as if he had been smitten with a blighting disease that had suddenly turned the joyous sense of young life into pain. There was still one resource open to Tito. He might have turned back, sought Baldassare again, confessed everything to him, to Romola, to all the world. But he never thought of that. The repentance which cuts off all moorings to evil demands something more than selfish fear. He had no sense that there was strength and safety in truth. The only strength he trusted to lay in his ingenuity and his dissimulation. Now that the first shock which had called up the traitorous signs of fear was well past, he hoped to be prepared for all emergencies by cool deceit and defensive armor. It was a characteristic fact in Tito's experience at this crisis that no direct measures for ridding himself of Baldassare ever occurred to him. All other possibilities passed through his mind, even to his own flight from Florence, but he never thought of any scheme for removing his enemy. His dread generated no active malignity, and he would still have been glad not to give pain to any mortal. He had simply chosen to make life easy to himself, to carry his human lot, if possible, in such a way that it would pinch him nowhere. The choice had, at various times, landed him in unexpected positions. The question now was not whether he should divide the common pressure of destiny with his suffering fellow-men. It was whether all the resources of lying would save him from being crushed by the consequences of that habitual choice. End of chapter 23